is Ukraine's efforts to strike deep into Russian territory at high value targets continuing to pay dividends? And is Russia finally laying the groundwork for a 2023 general mobilization? I'm Paul, U.S. Army combat veteran. It is January 4th, 2023. This is your daily Ukraine update. Let's get into it. Okay, first off, when we look at the control map, there's actually no changes to the overall line of control. Um, and when we look at the combat map, you guys can see that Russia has been fairly active uh, by Russian standards. You can see actually four separate attacks uh, pushing outward from Donetsk along these sort of these three lines here that we've talked about, uh, none of which have made any significant progress. Uh, in the north, you guys can also see that interestingly, there's actually two attacks listed on the eastern side of Bakhmut, uh, indicating that at least Russia continues to believe that they can achieve some sort of gain in Bakhmut. Um, the, and as always, they're trying to complete their encirclement by pushing near Krasnohora and Solodar, as well as in Belohorivka. Uh, but the more interesting story, at least to me, is when we look at War Mapper, right? Uh, while he's reported that there's no real changes to the front line, um, what was interesting is that the account released a chart of net gains per month. I thought this was really interesting. This is a measure of territory. And as we've talked about, all territory not created equal, um, you know, a a 10 square kilometers of uh provincial capital or or um is worth far more than 10 square kilometers of no man's land but it's an interesting proxy for the conflict you guys can see in february and march russia seized significant portions of ukrainian territory uh totaling at 18 percent of the entire country then in april you saw uh Ukrainian forces pushed them back. This is the battle for Kiev. And then Russia focused instead on the Donbas region. And you can see they made slow, steady gains, um, very slow. And then in September, you saw the Kharkiv counteroffensive, uh, consolidation of that counteroffensive. November, you saw the Russian withdrawal from Kherson. And then in December, you can see just how big the stalemate is. Uh, less. It, According to War Mapper, only about seventy square kilometers changed hands. That's uh, that's not much. That's bear in mind seven uh, a seven kilometer by ten kilometer square is all the territory that changed hands in this entire uh, in the entire month of December. So again, an area where you and I could probably walk the perimeter in like one long day, and. I say this, I want to point this out just to show we've talked a little bit about the stalemate of the war, but also the way these swings tend to happen. And do I think that going into January, February, March, we're going to see uh, increases in this change? Yeah, I actually think so. Um, you guys can see that for months, there was probably persistent belief that Russia was invoking a slow and steady strategy, and that Ukraine, uh, Ukrainian pressure that had been occurring sort of behind the scenes for those four months paid dividends out here. And so we need to bear that in mind when we see in January what we can expect. Now, here's where things get really interesting. Putin 
has caught a lot of flack over this conflict, uh, particularly and exceptionally from soldiers, widows, uh, and mothers. And this is part of a long tradition in Russia of uh, mothers standing up for their sons who are oftentimes um, the who are oftentimes really recruited into conflicts um, and killed pointlessly. A good example would be soldiers' mothers in Chechnya, uh, who actually at times requested or demanded from the Russian government the right to go and collect their son's remains. That became a politically uh, difficult issue for, uh, I believe, Yeltsin and then Putin. You also had the uh, mothers in the Afghan conflict when young, almost huge numbers of young Soviet men were sent to fight in Afghanistan and were killed. Um, what at the time was considered in massive numbers, 15,000 throughout the 10 years of the war, uh, though in fact, uh, that's something that's happened in a matter of uh, weeks in this conflict. But the point is, is that in Russia, groups of soldiers, widows, and mothers are, carry a lot of political clout. And so it's interesting then that despite the fact that these, these groups have been very public in their calls for Putin to end the war, that now Russian state media is reporting that one group is calling for Putin to escalate the war and order a major mobilization. But it adds a little known patriotic group that supports the widows of Russian soldiers has called on Putin to order large scale mobilization of millions of men and close the border to ensure victory in Ukraine. This is really interesting for a bunch of reasons. You can see it's re reported by uh, RT World. Um, of course, Reuters, IB Times, BD News. But what's fascinating is that is that this is almost certainly something that is uh, publicly staged. This is part. Putin has been very, very, uh, has very regularly staged these sort of meetings with soldiers' mothers and and other sympathetic figures who are victimized by the war. Uh, in, in, or at least secondary victims of the war, I should say. Um, but the, um, but they are almost always staged, managed events, oftentimes with individuals who are actually found to be uh, actors. Right, the same woman who played a grieving uh, widow or grieving soldier's mother was later appeared to be a soldier when Putin met with a soldiers' group. So. It's always sort of interesting to see these stage managed events. I suspect that this is another one, given that this is a small, obscure patriotic group um, and is asking something that almost no grieving mother would want to see, which is, of course, more children uh, being sent or more young men being sent into the front line that killed their son. Uh Yep, we ask our president to allow the Russian army to carry out large-scale mobilization. Uh, soldiers, widows of Russia. Classy. Uh, and to prohibit the departure of military-age men from Russia. Uh, <laughs> our husbands died protecting these men, but who will protect us if they run away? I love this one. 
this is this is this is a hot take that Ukraine is is posing an imminent threat to Russian sovereign territory. Guys, Ukraine can't even take back its own territory. That is the entirety of this conflict. There is absolutely no way they pose a threat to Russian uh, sovereign territory. What I think is strange is, of course, we've talked about this for months now, that Russia is preparing, laying the groundwork for a uh, major mobilization. And it appears that this is another step in manufacturing the consent, uh, manufacturing the political will to do so, despite the fact that among almost all Russians, uh, I wouldn't say that. I would speculate that among almost all Russians, they don't really want this conflict. I think in most cases, uh, Russians are not stupid, and that when a camera or pollster asks for their opinion, they give as close to the state line as possible. Um, I think that's just a good survival mechanism. What is interesting, though, is that the armed forces of Ukraine have reportedly hit the military commandant's office in Zaporizhia. Uh, as you guys can see, this is a somewhat behind the lines area it's it looks like it's about 10 kilometers behind the lines and is a testament to the fact that ukraine is being more surgical with its strikes and is relying on better and better intelligence being able to identify this particular office you guys should understand that this is a really tough nut to crack you guys should see even within this city there's a lot of buildings any one of these could be a commandant's office so the fact that they put in the effort to identify exactly where it is and were able to put uh warheads on foreheads as the saying goes as a testament to the fact that either they or an ally is providing them with spot on intelligence uh one other fascinating story is that a single iranian attack drone contained dozens of parts from u.s companies these are of course companies that have been sanctioned from doing business with iran for years now it's worth noting that this itself is not necessarily alarming right third party uh shell companies are so common for circumventing not just sanctions but circumventing taxes um it's almost comical. I knew of one company personally whose entire business was to buy retired city buses, refurbish them, and sell them to um, Venezuela. This was probably 15 years ago when Venezuela was a country with which you could do business. But in fact, those buses, the owners, even the mechanics working on them acknowledged they aren't meant for Venezuela. Venezuela is going to, the Venezuelan company is going to resell them to Cuba momentarily, like they already have the contract signed. So this is just circumventing U.S. sanctions, again, to sell city buses for, pro you know, aged city buses for probably uh, maybe $100,000 a pop. And so the fact that you have these uh, U.S. companies uh, either knowingly or unknowingly or probably more likely in the gray area, um, having these parts purchased by non-sanctioned entities and companies and then having them turn around and get sent to Iran, uh, a sanctioned company, is problematic but not surprising. And it's a reminder of in the world of global supply chains just how tied together things can be. And again, fascinated. It would be fascinating to know what these parts look like. How many are commercial 
parts, how many are military grade, uh, how many are national security sensitive components, and how many are just, again, the chips that control high-end RC drones, for example, or you know the same sort of chips in your cell phone versus what is an actual drone computer part. So interesting. It'll be interesting to see how these things play out. Um, but again, not that surprising. And again, as we've talked about, sanctions, the longer they go on, the easier it becomes to subvert them, right? There's The more it happens, the more time there is to do things like set up shell companies, establish these illicit trading networks that funnel sanctioned goods and materials to uh, countries that don't allow it. Anyway, guys, that is all I had for you for today. Um, as always, thank you so much to my patrons of Patreon. I am going to be updating this because we got a ton of new patrons yesterday um, where we at the Patreon break down all the viral combat videos, the kind YouTube won't let me show you. We also have an exclusive room on the Discord to hang out. So it's a great time. And again, really thanks a lot to the Lieutenant Tier patrons. I'll see you guys all in the next one.